You're listening to Clock Radio Speakers with Armand and Doc. And now, Side B. Well, to me, the, the All Lives Matter backlash was inevitable because it's the same reason why, and we don't hear about this all that much anymore, but it was a really big deal in the 70s, 80s, and into the 90s. It's the same reason why there was backlash over affirmative action. It's because the average, I'm going to use average in a very, I'm going to use average from to mean if you look at America. So the stereotypical, I'll say you stereotypical, the stereotypical middle-class white person doesn't see themselves as privileged. They see like celebrities, politicians, yeah. and athletes as privileged, right? I saw that a lot. They yeah, are, I, um, I didn't, I honestly didn't know that was a thing, Doc. I did they, not know. They, they, we, I mean, I'm a middle-class white person, are amazingly unaware of of that privilege mm-hmm. because many of these people are themselves not, like, doing that great. Like, in the grand, like, when they, you know, when they think of privilege, they think, they might think of their boss or their boss's boss who makes two, three, four times their salary, mm. right? Because it's all relative. And so part of that unawareness is, like, the idea that we have this idea in this country that, like, of personal responsibility and it's incredibly seductive right it's like the idea that you get what you work for right it's why it's that like very seductive ideology this is why people haven't revolted yet in this country despite the fact that we now work longer and harder than we did 20 years ago at the same jobs i'm not talking about like 100 years ago when people were, were like still on the fields mostly i'm saying for the average for like a white collar or even blue collar jobs you for the same amount of work you don't get as much as you used to overwhelmingly. You have fewer protections because like, because corporate America has, they, they just have more rights now than they ever did before. Right. People haven't revolted yet because they still think if I work hard, I can make this better. It's a, it is like at the core of this middle-class white American like thought. It's why people aspire to be rich. It's why you will see poor white people vote Republican, right? Despite it being in their economic self-interest. Like this always bothered me when I was a high school kid growing up, like living in Oklahoma, where there are lots of poor white people because lots of these towns out in the prairies in Oklahoma, like time has passed them by. Like they are not going to be big towns anymore. In fact, they're all shrinking, but people still vote Republican because they believe, well, if I just work hard enough, I'll get there. Right. But the fact is, and this is not news, anybody listening to this, but like if you aren't a white male, it's not enough to just work hard. You got to work twice, three times, four, X number of times as hard to fight through racism, discrimination. Just because yeah. it's not as overt doesn't mean it's not there. Right. And in fact, the subtle racism is sometimes the hardest to fight through. Right. Mm-hmm. But but to at, but on the flip side, I'm, it's not a, maybe not quite devil's advocate, but we have to understand that what we're asking this this these this bulk of white America, not all of white America, this bulk of white America that's still the ones who are going all lives matter. We are asking them to acknowledge that they, that they have had an advantage, right? Like to go back to affirmative action, like we're asking them to think, did I really deserve this job? Or did I have a leg up because I look like the person who was hiring me? And because like my family mimics their family and they see me as the same type of person. Like, People don't internalize that type of privilege. Uh-huh. It's what makes like the affirmative backlash, affirmative action backlash so insane to me. People who had a leg up their entire life are suddenly going, oh, wait, I thought we're all equal now. So you want a leg up? And it's like, that's not how it works at all. Right. The, <laughs> and it's the, 
it, it's the same. Like to me, it's the, it's a similar thing with, with this whole all lives matter backlash, right? You're, we're again asking, I'm not saying we shouldn't, but we just have to be aware. What we are saying is, okay, white America, please, please be aware that you have had an advantage, right? You white, m- most of white America ha- can have this concept that if you don't do anything wrong, you don't have anything to fear by the police. The police are there to protect you. Mm-hmm. But when you, when you start to understand that, well, <laughs> you have, you have a privilege in that sense, all of a sudden this whole like worldview about, well, if you follow the rules and if you obey the, you know, obey the law and if you do things the right way, like that all starts to break down and people do not like their mental models of the world breaking down. Right. And this go, it's all tied in with this, like, what's the, you know, like this stereotypical American notion of like, if you just follow the rules and work hard, then you can get ahead in life. And it's like, if you're a person of color, that doesn't necessarily work. And if you're a black person specifically, the rules are, have been stacked against you since America was founded. Right. And so, you know, the All Lives Matter backlash, it's because there are people who honestly have never, it's like you said, they've honestly never sat there and gone, man, did I deserve this? Did I get this because I worked really hard or did I get this because I'm white? No white person ever asks himself that question. Ever. Mm-hmm. I don't say no. Maybe some people do now. Overwhelmingly. People don't ask themselves that question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nah. I, I, I mean, I can't, I can't speak from that perspective. Right. So, you know, that's, it's, in, it's interesting to hear, you know. Um, yeah. I don't have anything else to add. <laughs> um, right. It's, um, and it's, it, to me, it, it kind of, it's interesting because it, it bridge is sort of like when I, when I got on, when I started, you know, when I started like taking notes for this episode and I started like going and going, cause you know me, I'll just, I'll go forever and ever. Like it ties back to, in my mind, it ties back to a similar like concept that this country faced in the sixties, right? Where it was, you know, it was relatively easy to sell America on the very high-minded notion that everybody should have rights. I, I'm saying relatively easy. Let me let me just be clear. It took hundreds of years of sacrifice to get there. But in the actual moment, it turns out that it was one thing to con- to to convince the American public that yeah, civil rights, right? We can get behind civil rights. But when we actually got down to the implementation, and people, and all of a sudden, people became very aware of the fact that, well, if all of a sudden, like, so you're telling me that now, like, I'm not going to have every advantage I possibly had. Like, they didn't think of it in terms of that way. But it, it, when you level the playing field, then, or when you try to attempt to level the playing field, then all of a sudden, in the aggregate, the average incomes of white people will go down a little bit, right? The average standard of living might stagnate for a little while. People did not like that at all. It didn't take long at all for people to be like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I didn't think this equality thing actually meant, you know equality like it sounds crazy but like and and the you know the all lives matter thing it's um it's not that dissimilar if only on the level of it's not that you know people can get behind the notion of okay police reform sure let's talk about that right um but when we get down to the actual implementation i wonder how people will feel about it hopefully they'll like it but i don't know we lionize the police so much in this country like when you're growing up and they take you know like in elementary school, it's like, you know, you've got cops and firefighters and astronauts and, you know, like it's, it's right. It's like a thing, like to right. kids. And then yeah. to all of a sudden to like, to put a crack in that, to, yeah. to acknowledge that that's not exactly what you think. That's really tough. So 
Yeah. I mean, even the backlash against the police, I might be in the minority on this, but mm. like, I don't know, man. No, I'll say it. I, to me, I don't, I don't have the disdain and hate for police that I've seen others have where when I see a cop, it's, you know what? I, I say this though. It is very weird that I'm more self-aware that I tense up when the police are around now. Hmm. You know, I've been pulled over a couple of times in the last year. It's a different conversation now. Hmm. Prior to that, I didn't have any problems with, you know, um, you know, here's all my information, yada, yada, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not going to jail because I didn't do anything. Right. You know, I, growing up like the token, which I did for lar- largely <laughs> a large por- portion of my life, I was always the black kid, the only black kid in the class or one of the few, you know, you don't grow up with that. But on the other side, you go to I go to St. Louis in the summertime and it's different. I have stories that my cousins tell me about, you know, discrimination that they they faced. But I think the fact that I've grown up all over the world and and I'm well traveled, like I understand that a lot of things are case by case scenario. And although we have a lot of instances of the police, um, you know, going overboard with their with their authority and that resulting in the deaths of 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 other people does that necessarily mean that is that necessarily give us the right to scream out after police so even let me give you another example so again this party on friday that we go to so stolly's there and stolly performs it's fine i forgot the name of it what's the record that it was it all what was the name of the record where he was using all the nwa songs song titles in the hook with todd dollar sign oh i don't know so right that's crazy Sorry. So, and shout out to Columbus for being super thirsty and nobody knew the words, but everybody wanted to put Stolly on Snapchat. Um, so I, I have to put always into something. I knew it was called always into something. So part of that hook says F the police. So right. guess what chant breaks out at the end of the song? Everybody say F the police, F the police, F the like. So that's the chant at the end of the record. Right. Now, when we go out now, how how downtown Columbus is, how the short north is, is it's just a long strip. Okay. It's a very long strip. So there's a bunch of kids on the sidewalk. Let's be more specific. There's a bunch of black kids on the on us on the sidewalk. Right. There's at least there's at least 50, 50 to 75 kids outside. And then there's another 50 to 75 inside of this really small boutique or whatever. So it was a lot of people there. In a small space. Now we're covering up the sidewalk. So the police roll up. Instantly, the black people, because there's some, there were some white kids who, of course, they had to walk by because that's what you do on the strip. You park and you just walk. So, but any of the, I didn't see any of the, the, the white kids or the white people who walked by. I didn't see them look a certain way. I didn't see them look fearful. I didn't see any of that. It just seemed like, you know, they just kind of maneuvered through the crowd and they went on their way. Now, if you go down High Street, you will see pubs and 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 bars and stuff like that where there are groups of white people gathered outside. It's it's the summertime. It's the end of the summer. So it's a little cool out. It feels good outside. So some of those people are drunk. So they're hot. So they go outside to sort of get some air. 
there's never any problem. So when the police roll up, I see police on high street all the time. And so instantly I heard somebody say, one of them white kids that walked by must've called the police (laughs) because the cops come up. And one of the cops is like, you guys got to don't block the sidewalk. Now, is he being cool about it to a degree? He's, he's being a little forceful. He doesn't know what situation he's walked into and who knows what could happen. So there's a little bit of trepidation there. There's a little bit of, let me just do my job and let me get out of here. So that creates tension an unnecessary tension between a bunch of kids who are standing around. People are, I mean, I was rapping. If you saw my Instagram, I'm outside in a cypher, like I'm 19 years old. There's a bunch of girls out there trying to look cute. There's a bunch of guys just talking, people smoking blacks. There was weed there. Like there was just, there was no sort of inclination that there was anything violent or illegal going on outside of the marijuana that you smelled in the air. So, it's just amazing what this, I don't want to say what the Black Lives Matter movement has created, but because what happened to Trayvon Martin and Mike Brown and all these other kids and people who lost their lives ended up creating the Black Lives Movement. So now from that, now you've just got a lot of unnecessary tension. And I remember having conversations with other churches, with, with police officers, with city council members. And we had all these talks about things that were going to change after Mike Brown died. And those talks have since ceased. Some people have still, some people have gone and decided to act on them. And some, and some people have just stopped. But that's why I say that those things lie dormant because that's what we do. We sweep things under the rug. Well, I haven't heard anything about a kid and I haven't heard anything about somebody getting killed or something like that. Or now we're seeing it so much like Doc, I don't think that police brutality has uh, has risen. I think that I think that the tension, I think, number one, with social media, it's easier to show it and display it. One, Hmm. two, it's uh, the tension that these situations have created, have created now a, a once dormant anger to rise up. So where there would be grace and the and the ability to have a conversation with the police officer in a necessary situation now turns into an altercation. And and that and that hasn't been solved. And that and I think that's why. And this is my question for you. I've heard somebody say on the I heard a few people say this on the one year anniversary of Mike Brown's murder. I saw people say, man, one year since Mike Brown died and nothing has changed. Do you believe that? I don't believe that, um, but I do believe it. Mm, mm-hmm. OK, Break that um, down. <laughs> um, I don't believe it because the fact that we're having a conversation in this country on any level, the fact that, um, you know, one of the two major political parties in this country, the Democratic Party, is now essentially being forced to address issues of police brutality and possibly adopt, you know, solutions for police reform. Like that wasn't even on the agenda. That wasn't even on the radar for, you know, a year ago. Um, in fact, I mean, here's a really interesting thing, right? So, um, so uh, Joe Biden, who is our vice president, is Joe debating, Biden. Joe Biden is, deba- is uh, debating running for president. Um, before he was vice president, he was in the Senate. One of the things that he really made his name on was, uh, along with uh, the first Clinton, was um, a uh, sort of the big package of quote unquote tough on crime 
legislation in the 90s that was in many ways a a reaction to a de, you know a somewhat delayed reaction to the drug violence in main, in many cities in the um, in the in the 80s and early 90s and it included you know a, a lot of these you know these bills included you know uh, more aggressive minimum sentencing um, beefing up police numbers a lot of the trends that have led to the militarization of police although that really accelerated after 9/11 but a lot of the things that we are now having a conversation about in this country that's how Biden made his name he was mm-hmm. a law and order democrat so it's one of the things that keeps coming up when when you know when in articles when they're like well Biden you know we're getting we're hearing rumors this thing about running the one of the first things that, that people talk about they talk about two things they talk about wow you know Hillary's a pretty big name and it's kind of late in the process and the other thing they talk about is man you know his history is going to come up that's incredible it's incredible it's something that would have never even been discussed, you know, a year ago. Mm. So things have, th- I, uh, things are changing. I think the problem is this notion of change as a one, as like things have changed and then now we're done because it's fixed or something like that. It's more that change has begun. And the real interesting question is what are people fighting to change, right? There's a very, like, so the, um, the Black Lives Matter movement has a website, join, joincampaignzero.org, about this thing they have called Campaign Zero, which the name, uh, I believe, refers to the fact that what they'd like to, you know, the goal is zero unnecessary deaths, right? No more Mike Browns, no more Eric Garners. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have 10 very specific um, policy, like 10, 10 specific like solutions that they want to, to, to work to get implemented that they feel will help solve this it ranges from ending of broken windows, policing, Google broken windows, uh, policing. If you've, if, uh, if you don't know what that is, I've talked about it at length on the show to sum it up real quickly. It's the theory that if you aggressively attack the small things, quote unquote, broken windows. So literally it could be a broken window in New York. It was often people who are, you know, jumping, uh, subway turnstiles and not paying. If you tackle, small things, then you don't let things get so bad that major things happen. Uh, it ranges from that to limiting use of force, uh, demilitarization, better, con- you know, different police contracts. Also, it's a very sort of comprehensive approach at limiting what they see as police br- brutality. What they aren't talking about is they're not talking about how do we end racism, which underlies a large portion of this, mm. because that's... Um, that's an insane goal. It's not a bad goal. It's not a goal that we shouldn't be striving towards. We should be striving towards that. But, and I've talked about this in the show, America was born a racist nation. Um, that's just the, you know, there, there is nothing that, that can be done about our past. The question, right. you know, so it is, it, there are so many, so many legacies of racism in this country that still, that, that still affect people to this day. So, you know, it, I guess it just depends on what you mean by, you know, things haven't changed. Right. Do we still have racism? Yes. Do we still have aggressive police? Yes. Do we still have cities that use their poor people that, that try to, that try to, that gear the system so that small things become fines, become criminal records, become more fines. Why? Because they want to pay their budgets that way. Because as, because we have been on an anti-tax crusade in this country for the past 40 years, right? Like there's a whole legacy of stuff that, that, contributes to why police act the way that they act. So 
nothing's changed, but things have changed and things are changing. Mm. It's just not a finished process by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. We're, we're, we're almost just, you know, we're, we, we, we have gotten started. And, yeah. and what I talked about the campaign zero, that is one approach, right? But, you know, and again, so it doesn't, doesn't address racism, doesn't address institutional, in, institutionalized poverty, right? It doesn't address all sorts of things that, that we do in this country, right? We have a, we have a racist housing, uh, a racist transportation policy of all things. Right. Right. It's really a classist. It's, it's both a racist and a classist transportation policy, which is basically, you need to have a car to really do much of anything in most of this country. Mm-hmm. Right. And why is that? Well, because middle class and upper class people can afford cars and that's who certain politicians cared about. So we have this long legacy of this sort of stuff and that contributes, right? It's why it's different. You know, people who live in, cer- especially certain parts of the country are worse than others. But in a lot of, a lot of cities, you know, jobs moved away. Why? Because they, I talked about this in previous shows. Why? Because they built highways so that people didn't have to, you know, they built more highways that w- cut through cities and went around cities. And all of a sudden, what you wanted to do was you wanted to put jobs near highways, but now you need a car to get a job. Oh, and what's that? The, your, they, they don't, they didn't put subway, a subway or some sort of like mass transit in your city. Oh, okay. So you got to take a bus. Well, those aren't reliable. Why? Cause they don't want to fund it. Like there's so many things that contribute to problems in our major cities. And right. because in this country, because of our history of racism, it is still true that a person of color is more likely to be poor than a, than a white person in this country. So these things all contribute. So basically what you're saying is, <laughs> is no, and I don't, I don't mean to summarize. I'm not no, saying no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. So you said that America was born a racist nation. Oh, absolutely. So if we're talking about America being created with these sorts of values, that there's no way in the world that these things can even begin to get rectified in a year. No, the, if it took you, right. if it takes you, and this is one thing my pastor says, if it took you so long to get into a mess, is getting out of it's not going to take overnight. It's going right. to take just as long to right. get out. Of it. Right, and and that's not to say it's going to take you know two hundred and something years for America right. to get out of this. But what it means is it can't happen overnight because right. there are so many aspects to it. Right, and the legacies of that are crazy, and the and, co- and frankly the costs of doing it. And I, and I was just going to say that, and not only the costs of that, these these practices that America was created with, they're tied to some people's pockets, and some people are going to have to let some of that money go, and they're not going to want to let that money go, right? Because right. what's more important, their generation, their generational wealth, or America becoming this truly free and independent nation which one is more important i'm gonna go ahead and say the former (laughs) i'm gonna go ahead and say the former right um so you tweeted earlier um that if uh, i'm gonna paraphrase you but please uh get the uh, correct me with the quote you said it was something the effect of um if you uh actually you know what can you just go ahead and and quote a problem without a solution is complaining a problem without a solution is complaining Mm mm-hmm so up to this point, there were no, there was not a comprehensive list of sort of proposed solutions to police brutality by the Black Lives Matter movement. So would you? I think s- there, I would, think there were. Okay, I think there, I think there were some ideas that like body cams. I saw a lot of the Black Lives Movement pushing for body cams. Okay, and then we saw people, then we saw people getting murdered by police who had body cams on them. <laughs> and then it turns out, if you turn off the body cam, that's kind of besides the point. 
Right. That'd be like if I was driving and there was a red light cam up ahead and I just had a remote control and I could just flick it off and go through the red light. Well, what's the point of the red light cam? Right. <laughs> right, right, right. So when I tweeted that, that wasn't in response to Black Lives Matter. That was an in general statement. And that was directed to some things that I see when people just anytime you see them talk, they're always pointing out what's wrong. They're always pointing out what people aren't doing. It's like, I can't focus on what I'm doing if I'm always focused on what Doc is doing. Well, Doc ain't doing this and Doc's not doing like I'm not around Doc 24 hours a day to keep tabs on every little thing that he's doing. And if I have the ability to point out everything that you're doing, then I'm not focused on what I need to be doing. And that's not that's not fair to you. And that's honestly not fair to me and my responsibilities either. So I'm not saying that we don't need to be concerned or care about each other. But like if all you do is complain consistently and I'm not saying you have to be the the proprietor of the solution in a, in in a lot of cases you are if you see the problem and you probably have the solution somewhere in you somewhere. But pointing out saying, hey, this is wrong. I don't know how to fix this is not complaining. Okay. But consistently saying this wrong, this is wrong, this sucks, this isn't right, that's complaining. Well, that's that was the context of that tweet. But is that a bad thing? Yes. If all you're doing is pointing out what's wrong, yes. You See, have no, you have nothing positive. You have nothing um um uh you have nothing to contribute besides pointing out what's wrong. That's except, all you do? Except I don't necessarily think that we need everybody proposing solutions either. I don't think we need everybody pointing out problems either. Uh, then because how do you have can... awareness of problems if you don't have people pointing them out? Man, because maybe everything ain't a problem. <laughs> that goes into a deeper conversation. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is interesting. I mean, so in the case of, of, the, of, of let's just say, police brutality, okay. like if all of a sudden – the there becomes a notion in this country that is all of a sudden we have a lot of people going this isn't right and maybe i don't know the answer to it yet aside from stop killing black people then but, say that okay but that's then not a solution that's a that, i am th- th- that's a quip am, that's saying, a i don't have it but saying i don't have a solution says i want a solution but i don't i can't quite figure it out yet but i know this isn't right so there's 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 a difference it's okay. it's there's a difference in that and just saying, okay, so for example, yeah. if you send me a mix and I say, Doc, this sucks, yep. and you say, well, what's wrong with it? Right. I could go in two directions. I could point out why I don't think, why I think your mix sucks. Mm-hmm. So then from that conversation, we can have a conversation and say, well, maybe I need to fix this. Maybe I need to fix this. And then we work on it together. Um. Or you just have me list out like you like you've asked me to do. Hey, list out, you know, what you don't like and then we can fix it like that. But if I just say, Doc, this mix sucks and you're like, OK, but you're an expert it, 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 compared to what right? mixing. No, I'm no not. listen, listen, you are you and I have worked on songs enough. You know enough about music to be able to actually intelligently talk about that. So like, well, let me ask you this then. So then why do we play music for people who aren't musicians? If I get feedback from, if I play a beat for my wife and she's like, nah, I don't like that. That's not good. I don't ask her to go, well, was it the hi-hats? Did I, did I not pan the sample enough? Like she just tells me it doesn't sound good. That's a totally valid form of feedback. But that's, it's, it's, it's different because you're asking her from that, from that casual sort of of perspective. 
Well, not everybody is an expert on police brutality. They're not. So uh, to me, I'm, I can understand how there might be people who go overboard, but to me, it seems like you would want as many people as possible going, this is a problem. This is really a problem. But because I think then you can start to talk about, then you can start to talk about solutions. I think what you're doing is you're taking a, a never mind. My, is this a straw man argument? I mean, I'm, you're taking a you're taking a statement that I that I said that didn't have to do with police brutality, and you're okay. applying it to this police brutality. Well, no, right, I, I, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to put you on blast. Or anything but like that. no, 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 it's I, not I putting think, you on blast. I, I think. But, it's, I think some people. I think that there is some of. I think that there is that opinion out there for some of this stuff. It's like, oh, well, if you don't have an answer, then you know, you're part of the problem. Listen, if you if you are if you don't have an if you say that something is wrong that police brutality to the extent that it's being displayed in our country is wrong period yeah i don't think that's complaining okay good. i think that's that's low-key that's high-key stating a fact right <laughs> i okay. think we can all agree with that all right you know what i'm saying but <sighs> then that goes into the social media context so okay. you know we should talk about, about that yeah how about the people who are only tweeting their problems they're only tweeting their issues with it but you know they know about marches that are going on in that community or they're not going on Google or Facebook and, and, and rallying up with people in their city to see what's going on. So if I, if I go on Twitter and I retweet somebody who said, you know, it was something, some statement, hashtag black lives matter, but I'm not going in and actually rallying or I'm not going to show, to show up and to really contribute. Like if I'm just doing it online there's something wrong with that. I think you need to put your hands to something besides your phone after a while. If it's really bothering you, if you smell bad, you're not going to tweet. I stink. You're, you're eventually going to get up and take a shower. You know what I'm saying? So I'm maybe not even monitor, maybe not even like coming up with people in your community, maybe doing something in your own sphere of influence. Like there's the ability to take the extra step further and do something else because we spent this time last year. I went to several, I went to marches. I went to, uh, uh, community town hall meetings and got with a bunch of different people and proposed ideas. And now it's like, all right, what else can we talk about? The problems have been plainly expressed right now. What can we do to figure out some sort of solution? There had to have been some sort of solution in those conversations. Cause some of those town hall meetings were full of the one I went to in particular and shout out to my man, Yav and it turned into a bash the police in the radio session because they had a radio. Yeah, they had, well, they had, uh, they had the hip hop radio station there. They had one or two of the DJs there and they had, I don't know if it was the police chief, but they definitely had representation of the police force of the Columbus police department. And everyone, after a while, like they had to stop the Q and a session because it became the music you play on the radio is the reason why my cousin is dead or Ooh. right. Right. And, and, or, um, the way that you handled this situation, I was at a Kroger and, you know, there was a, something happened and the police didn't respond in a way that I thought that they should have responded. And I don't think that was right. You guys got to get it together. Like, that's not what we're here for. This isn't a chance for you to throw your your proverbial tomatoes at, at these people on stage who have come out and really don't have to come out. They don't have to. 
But they've come out and even just them coming out and saying, hey, look, this is a problem and I want to find a solution. I want to know what my community thinks because I want to impact it somehow. I may not be able to make a complete 180 change, but I'm standing with you. You know, sometimes like, and girls say this all the time, (laughs) sometimes like when a girl vents and she calls you, she doesn't, as men, we're thinking a solution. She doesn't want want you to solve her problem. No. Do you know why? Because do you know why? It's because we misdiagnose her her problem. We think what she's telling us is, oh, she's telling me about her problem. Her problem is she hasn't had anybody to talk to yet. And the solution is you shutting up. Somebody's married. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody is married. That's absolutely right. I know, but go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Cause I've been ranting. Go ahead. No, that's okay. I, this is a really good thing to talk about. I, to me, the whole like idea that, okay, if people are only using social media and not actually like trying to it contribute in some other way to a solution to the problem. I would tell you that part of the reason why we haven't started to see implementation of solutions is actually, believe it or not, because there's not enough awareness yet. And there, in circles that we, you know, social media can seem super broad, but man, sometimes you are in these little worlds. I have the same problem. I follow a bunch of people who are into tech, who are liberal. Like I can live in my own echo chamber sometimes. Where I'm like, yeah, of course everybody understands why it's stupid to say all lives matter and why black lives matter. What that's really saying is stop killing black people because, hey, they're people, right? That's the whole point. Um, like I, we sometimes – like it's funny. Social media can both give you a super narrow thing of the world, but it always has the ability to go wider. There might be that those two people following somebody who isn't in their larger circle who – all of a sudden gets exposure to a concept that they didn't know about before. And you're planting all these like seeds of, of potential knowledge, hopefully. And not all of those people are going to do something, but a larger percentage will, because not all people do something about anything. There are just, it's just human nature. There are lots of people who won't actually do stuff. And what social media at least does is it allows to me of the widest possible spread of information to get the biggest possible group of people who hopefully will do something. That is the point of people, of, to me, of people saying something on social media, even if they don't do anything. If you get a large enough group of people, there will be enough people who will do something. That's what I believe. Mm. Maybe that's what I hope to believe. Mm. Optimism on clock radio speakers. <laughs> okay. I dig that. Yeah. So what now? What? what, what? Yeah, what now? So we, we've got a, you know, like I said, so there's Campaign Zero. We've got, you know, the 10 things that, um, that they would... 10 things they would like to see uh, adopted. Um, some of them are, are, are big, right? Like demilitarization that, and what I mean by that is, so when we, when we first had the um, demonstrations in Ferguson a little over a year ago, and all of a sudden you saw police coming down the street and tanks. And for many people, like, I know I can tell you like in my community, like in what town I live in, all of a sudden in the newspaper, there's an article like, Hey, did you know that our town has two armored cruisers? And then you're like, why does my town have two armored crew? What is the point or whatever the number was, right? It's like, so demilitarization is a huge issue. And it's like one of the like 10 things that they do. And to their credit, they go in deeper and they have actual like specific things they want to do, right? There's a federal government program that provides surplus military weaponry to local police departments. They suggest that we should end that, which, yeah. 
seems to make sense. Then there's establishing local restrictions to prevent police departments from purchasing or using military weapons, which sure, that can also make sense. What that doesn't get at is the whole point of why people thought it was a good idea in the first place for police to be militarized, right? <laughs> police, the, the whole notion of community policing, is, it is a... Um, and, and, that's, and that's my fear is that we push for that. Push for what? Push for... A, a militarization of the police. Well, we've already had it. Like, it's here. Well, and, I'm right, but I mean, like consistently, every day, right now, we're in in a in peacetime, right? And that I mean, right, and that I mean, part of that, a lot of that came after nine eleven, where all of a sudden, do you remember? I'm, people forget this now, but like in the first couple of years after nine eleven, every there would be like a, oh, what if they attack the water supply in this town? Like people were afraid, and you know, nine eleven was an awful, awful day. But the targets on 9-11 were the Pentagon and the World Trade Center, two iconic symbols of American money and American might. The water supply in your town is fine. For now. That large shopping mall is fine. For now. <laughs> you, do not, you do not need this. But that's not what started militarization of police. What started it was the quote-unquote war on drugs. It's right there in the name. Mm. Right? It started with the war. I mean, frankly, it, it, I mean, a lot of it started with, I mean, ironically, like how how our country responded to, you know, first, uh, you know, the, the protests in the six, late 60s, early 70s of the Vietnam War. We declared war on drugs. We turned out we decided that our, our cities were going to be battlegrounds and uh, the police staffed up accordingly. Mm. That was just the main that was major cities. Then 9-11 happened and we decided Nah, medium-sized cities need to staff up too because other people are out there and they want to destroy you, right? But so demilitarization, like there are very concrete things that you can do, but there's the step above that, which is why did people think this was okay in the first place? Why are people afraid? And that, you know, that, God, there's so much that goes into that. How our media portrays things, right? The culture of fear that media feeds off of now because you got, you know, you got to sell ads, you got news, you got to do the thing, you need people to watch. Right. The phrase, if it bleeds, it leads. Right. Which refers to if you have uh, if you're like in a major American city and there is some sort of and, and you can get video of some crazy accident or shootout with police or anything like that. And there are people bleeding. It became a phrase because more often than not, that's what they're going to lead with on the 11 o'clock news because they, you know, because it's graphic because they want people to watch if they have to give you that warning, like. This might be too much for like kids to watch or whatever. That's even better for them because now they know you're going to watch. Like all this contributes. It's so, so big, which is to say that I actually really appreciate what Campaign Zero has done because at times it can feel so overwhelming. Like what I've talked about in the show, like you can step back and look at it and go, man, we'll never fix it. Right. But you don't fix it by attacking it from the top down. Like we we are not going to fix these problems in our country by going... I'm going to end racism. <laughs> right. The problem though, I mean, so, the, but the problem is like, you, you have to attack it from the bottom up and you have to be willing. It's going to take a lot of time. We didn't get, we didn't get here overnight. We're not getting back overnight. Um, Yikes. Does, I mean, what do you think? <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, it's just my fear is that we're going to say, well, hey, this looks like a good idea. And then we're going to like wish for 
this police that we're dealing with now to come back? No, I don't. I have a real problem with the militarization of police. I, I don't think I, I, I hope and pray it doesn't happen. Mm. I really hope and pray it doesn't happen because that would be horrible. And that's an understatement. So my hope is there can be some sort of reformation right. with the police force as we know it. Right. But like you said, it's man, it's just uh, it's just like racism, like isn't even an act. It's a condition like it's mm-hmm. just something that people are. So a lot of people are born with or it's something that a lot of people um, experience and they allow and they allow it to embed itself into their hearts and they respond accordingly. You know what I'm saying? So like what's happening with with Donald Trump right now, which we haven't you, talked about on the show. I'm not even going front. Like I'm I'm not paying attention to that. There's just there's just I understand now more than ever, believe it or not, the need to at least keep one eye on politics. Hmm. But at the same time, I just feel like Donald Trump is like, he's just doing what a lot of people do on the internet all day. He's just, he's just trolling everybody. And it's almost like the other side of the D's nuts spectrum (laughs) where some people are supporting him because I think some people think like him. Absolutely. But I also think that some people think it's funny and they think it's entertaining. But I don't think it's going to last long enough for me, for Armand to pay any any serious attention to it. But it does state, you know, the fact that he's getting this much attention speaks way louder to me than what exactly it is that he's doing. So I don't even know what he's doing. What is he doing? Um, he's running um, the most unconventional presidential campaign in modern history. OK, um, if <laughs> by unconventional, I mean. Um, he is, uh, very critical of, uh, Mexican immigration in the U S he's, um, he's, he's, he has gone on record saying that, uh, we need to build a wall and that he's going to make Mexico pay for it, which is one of the most insane things you could say. Um, every single, like basically he is an entire campaign built upon the stereotype of American machismo. Like he, it's all well, I would just negotiate better. Or, well, I would call up the president of this company and tell them they can't do that. And then people cheer. And then when, when because report, reporters are swarming these events where, you know, he's drawing a lot of people and they ask people like, why do you support Donald Trump? And they're like, well, have you seen him on The Apprentice? He could run this country. And it's just like, man, mm. we, we have spent, like, there's been a portion of this country that has spent a lot of time, like a, a lot of energy trying to, pump out this like hypothetical like view of the world to try to scare people because it sells because it make you know because it sells magazines or it gets you to click on websites or it gets you to watch fox news all day mm-hmm. right it, it and it's you know all of a sudden it's like guess what you've spent all this time exposing people to media in a certain way and now you've got it here you go this is what it looks like mm. and the scary like so it's to me, it's notable in two interesting ways. Number one, we're getting a real because of polling, we're getting a real like number on how many people are there who actually feel this way right now. Mm. As opposed, right. Um, the other thing, and this is the scarier part, is that so much like Bernie Sanders, who is running uh, as for for president on the Democratic side next to Hillary, he is for he is sort of 
his presence in the race is causing Hillary to probably be a little bit more liberal than she normally would be. Because she's typically like liberal slash moderate. She's a little bit closer to the center. Bernie is, he is straight up like left liberal. He he describes himself practically as a socialist, right? He is really left. But his presence is is causing her to adopt positions that are more left-leaning, right? More liberal-leaning. Conversely, the success of Trump now means that his competitors have to acknowledge his statements. And in some cases, they're going with the, if you can't beat him, join him. So despite the fact that a lot of us are sitting there and going, well, Trump will be, you know, Trump will be, uh, he'll, he'll fizzle out in a, in a month or two and nobody will care. The problem though is now the the, the actual honest to God issue of should we, like this actually has been an issue over the past week because Trump brought it up and people asked him about it and he's like, yeah, of course. Like the whole notion of birthright citizenship in this country, which is the 14th Amendment, which basically says, if you're born in this country, you're a citizen. He's like, no, nah, we should look into that because that's crazy because he, he believes that uh, Mexicans, uh, many Mexican immigrants are, um, they are trying to have anchor babies, which is a ridiculous term. But like he's causing what you would consider normal mainstream candidates to have to respond to his views and in some cases adopt them. Like, just because he's in the race and seems ridiculous doesn't mean he won't affect it. You know what I mean? Mm. It is a very scary, xenophobic thing that we are watching unfold. <sighs> America, man. Trick Daddy have a song called America. What would you say on Carbos? The American dream is a nightmare? The American dream is a nightmare. We should end up with that. You got anything else you want to say about this? Nah, man. I think you just, you completely like buzz killed. <laughs> just <laughs> explaining what... Is going on with Donald Trump just completely buzz killed the rest of the episode. We can we can end right there. We might have to come back to this. Yeah, we should we should definitely come back to uh, presidential politics at some point. Um, I'm not saying we're going to cover it weekly on Clock Radio Speakers, but I'm going to say that we're not covering it weekly on. <laughs> but we should we should talk about it from time to time. Sure, absolutely. Um, so we talked about a lot of different things in the show. Um, I'd love to hear what y'all think. Use the hashtag Clock Radio Speakers. Or hit us up at CRS Podcast on Twitter. Let us know what you think. Um, are we completely wrong? Do we not quite get it right? Are we not representing a certain side the right way? We want to hear about all of it. Um, so as always, thank you all for listening. And uh, we'll catch you all in the future.